Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Rain here from Tom's Big Spiders. First off, I hope everybody had a fantastic New Year's. We had a nice relaxing one over here where we, I think, went to bed at 11.30. We don't generally do the whole staying up the midnight thing. I was like, ah, we got to get ready for going to school, back to school. So everybody got to bed a little early, but we had a great time. So hopefully everybody else did too. And that those of you who went out and partied, had fun, did so safely. To kick this one off, I just want to couple, uh, cover a couple things that popped up recently quite a bit that I've gone over before, but they bear repeating. And number one, it's getting to be my busy time of year where I'm going to have limited time to do the Tom's Big Spider stuff. I mean, I will still continue to put out the videos, the podcasts I've been pretty consistent with. I've been very consistent with. I've been shocked, honestly. And that will continue, but sometimes the correspondence – it. it it becomes difficult to answer all the questions and emails and stuff I have coming my way. So just to give you an example, the other day I sat down to do messages. There were 175 comments on YouTube to answer. There were 15 emails, which as I started answering a couple, three more came in. Then on Instagram, I've been getting some ones on Instagram. I'm just going to tell you guys flat out, I normally don't answer my Instagram messages. That's my playtime. That's where I just kind of have fun and throw up pictures. I basically use my Instagram to show people what I have as far as tarantulas and stuff, like friends and stuff. When they ask me, you know, oh, what are you keeping? And I whip out my Instagram stuff and show it. I, that's not a big social platform for me. I mean, I'll, com- I'll respond to people's comments and stuff like that, but it's just I can only handle so much. And then I have Facebook and there's a bunch of messages there. And here's the deal. I just can't keep up with it all. And I want to answer, you know, there's a lot of important questions that come my way and sometimes time sensitive ones where something's, you know, an emergency. So here's the deal. I'm going to, I've said this before and some people have started to do it and I think they were surprised that it actually worked out very well. If you need to get a hold of me quickly, honestly, the fastest route right now, go over to YouTube, pick a video, pick an older one. I guess some people, I think for some people, they don't want their questions out there in the public or they don't want to, I don't know what it is because they won't ask it on the video. I'll get like, I'll post up a video and somebody will go and shoot me an email about something in the video. And it's like your best bet, pick a video, pick one of the older ones, go in and pick one of the really old ones and just put your message there. I will see it. There are notifications on YouTube. It doesn't matter how old the video is. I think people think that the older the video, you're never going to see it. Nope. It'll pop right up with all the other messages and I'll get to it much more quickly because I have to start where the majority of the messages and questions are. And that's always going to be YouTube at this point. So if there's something that's really pressing, that's your best bet. And if you don't want it out there in public, I can tell you, if you pick an older video, nobody's going to see it. And if you don't want it out there in public, just at the end of our conversation, just say, could you please delete this? I'll delete the comment. It's easy enough. But that That's going to be like, as we're going ahead, that's my contingency plan so I can get a hold of people or answer some of these questions because what's happening is the other day I received an email and again, it was over the holiday break. I was trying to have some fun too and uh, somebody got frustrated because I didn't respond within, I think it was like two days. And they're like, I don't know if you didn't see this, but this is really an emergency and I'd really appreciate. And I'll tell you, there's some times where I look at stuff like that and it's like, all right, I have a life. I I have stuff that I do. I do my best to get back to everybody, but it's just, it's become impossible. So I do the best I can. So if, if you have something, there's somebody in a stress, you know, a death curl, something going on, you have mites, whatever, there, there are some things that come up that, you know, are time sensitive, please Feel free to hop over, pick an old video, and and post there. That's that's what the best I can do. And I again, I had somebody just respond to me that I just responded to their thing, and they're like, I can't believe this actually worked. And I said, Do you want me to delete it? And like, no, no, no. So, just that's moving ahead. The best way to get a hold of me. I know I would love to be able to answer everything on every social media platform I'm on. I would love to go through all the Instagram comments and have Instagram comments, and then bounce over to Facebook, and then bounce over to my email, then bounce over to my website, then bounce over to YouTube. 
there's just not enough time in the day. The other day we threw on, just to give you a, a, an idea, and I hope this doesn't come across as whiny or complaining. It's not, but I do want to continue to answer questions. And I've made it very clear if I ever got to a point where I thought I couldn't do that anymore, then I'd probably shut down shop because that's kind of what I'm here for. But there's only so much I can do. So the other day we put on, we do over the Christmas break, we watch a Lord of the Rings marathon. We put on, I put on the extended editions, editions, the ones that are like four hours long. And we put on the lad, the third of the movie, the return of the King. And anyway, yeah, I'm a huge geek. Anyway, the movie's like four hours long. I spent the entire time answering emails and comments and everything. So just to give people an idea, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And again, I'm not putting this forward to be a jerk. I'm putting it forward only because I think people get disappointed sometimes when they contact me and I get overwhelmed. And sometimes I get things like, hey, I just picked up this species and I have it coming. Could you please tell me how to set it up? And it's getting to the point where it's like, no, I can't. Like I have videos out there. If you've watched all the videos and everything, that's the information I have. I don't have time for that as much anymore. So again, I apologize. I don't, I don't want to start this off in negative. It's not a negative thing. I just like to be very transparent with what's going on over here. So it never gets to the point where people are feeling upset because they think I'm ignoring them. It's nothing to do with that. It's just, I can only do so much in a day and especially with work. Summer, it's a little easier because obviously I have a lot of time off and that's usually where I'm able to get to just about everything, but it's, I have to stick to things that I can get done quickly. And that YouTube is, seems to be the place, the hub where I get the majority of traffic. So it's easier for just to drop one there and I'll get to it. The other thing that's been coming up a bit is uh, people offering breeding loans. I just want to make it clear that A, I've got, I think, five different breeding projects I'm kind of working on right now. And we just, I'll talk about this in a moment, but we just packed up 200 slings yesterday and I reminded myself how much, how time consuming breeding can be. So I'm kind of, I'm booked up right now. The other thing is I like to buy my males outright. I'm not going to get into the whole thing about this, but again, I had somebody, another person offended because they said, hey, I'd love to do a breeding loan with you. I know you have a female here. I got the male. Let's do it. And I said no when they were upset. It's just, it's easier for me to buy males when I want them outright. I'm not into the... I, I don't want to get into the stress of a breeding loan. Like if, if it doesn't go well and I've had situations where I, like I had one recently where I took a male, I bred it, the female ended up molting out and the male ended up dying and that was it. And I would have felt terrible if somebody was sitting there waiting for them. I'd rather just buy them outright and then not have to worry about the stress of it. There's other things too. But so if, if I, I will tell you that I don't, do a lot of breeding loans. I'm not, I usually just go buy them outright. So if you're asking, please don't take it offensively. And most people are really good. They're like, oh, okay, completely understand. And sometimes it comes down to, I just don't have the time for any other breeding projects. There's only so much I can do. I have the ones right now that we're going to be shipping off, hopefully on Monday, if all goes well. It's been kind of a debacle and I'll go into that in a moment. But I also have other ones I'm working on and I have to make sure I have the time to not only deal with, you know, hundreds of slings, but also my own collection. So again, I appreciate all the offers. Uh, this It's weird because this month, I think I probably got about 15 different offers for people trying to send off mails or whatever. And it's just, just know that I, I would prefer to buy. That's usually my thing. It's, it's nothing personal. Or in some cases, I just flat out will just go, I'm sorry, I can't do it right now. Please don't take it personally. It's just, I can only do so much. So again, this is, I don't want to start this off. I hope this doesn't come across as negative. It's just, I've always felt like with the Tom's Big Spider stuff, the best bet is to just explain to people what's going on. Like when I get busy, I'm busy. I'm not going to be able to be on as much when, you know, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm going to let you guys know I'm getting overwhelmed. So people don't get hurt feelings. I feel terrible when I get emails and I'm like, all right, my God, this was sent a week ago, but I'm just getting to it now. It, it really bothers me. So, and then when 
people offer me, you know, let's do a breeding loan. I feel terribly because sometimes I think they take it personally. Like I just don't want to do a breeding loan with them. It's nothing to do with that. I just have to be, I have a way I do things. I have to keep track of what I'm doing, what I'm breeding and how many things I've got. And sometimes it's just not in the cards. And finally, I've, <laughs> I've considered bringing this up for quite a while now. And again, it happened three different, kind of three, two and a half, we'll call it two and a half different times over vacation. And I feel like it's something I should address because I, I, feel like that maybe I'm coming across a little snarky in my emails, but just to lay it out there, um, <laughs> I've had people try to invite themselves to my house to peruse my collection. And I got it just the full disclosure. And this is something nobody would know unless you know me personally. I'm a, I'm a homebody. I don't leave home much, very antisocial. I just don't do crowds. Don't do, I like hanging with my family and my house is kind of my castle and my haven. We don't entertain a lot of people. We don't have a lot of friends over. It's just, I find it kind of exhausting. And I have to say, like, the thought of somebody coming into my home that I don't know very well is about the most stressful thing I can think of. Like, we've had – anybody that entertains probably are like, wow, what a what a loser. But I'm not into huge – like, you know, there's people that love having people, oh, let's have company over. Let's have your friend over from work. I'm not like that. I just want to hang with my kids, be myself, let it all hang out and not have to worry about stuff like that. And so I'm a very private person in that way. So I've had uh, – lately, What a couple things that have happened is that people have been like, hey, I'm going to be in the area. You're in Connecticut, right? I, I would love to stop by and see your collection. That's a hard pass. Like I And, and I, you can probably hear I'm getting a little jacked up about it. I, I get that with the Tom's Big Spider stuff that uh, my name's out there. Obviously, people see me on you know YouTube and hear my voice and everything. And, and I love interacting with everybody. I have people, you know, a couple of people over the years that we exchange text messages now because I, I feel like I trust them. And those are people I've gone back and forth with for many, many years. But I have a home. I have a family. I have young children. I, quite frankly, will just take it from the aspect. It would be very irresponsible for me to just invite somebody that I've had two you know, quick conversations with online. Or in one case, it was somebody I've ever spoken to that was just basically, and it was scary because they knew the area and it was like, Hey, I'm going to be in this part of the state, which is right by you. Can I stop by? So I, I don't, again, I feel like I'm coming, starting the new year in a negative way and I hate doing that, but I, there's just some things I want to get off of my chest and out there the beginning of the new year so we can kick things off, you know, Right. So that's going to be a no for me for please don't invite yourself. This is a private residence. This is not a museum. Somebody's like, I want to go in and take pictures and record video. No, you're not coming. I mean, just imagine honestly coming to somebody's home and just saying, I want to take pictures. I know I have a big collection. I know that I, I'm online and everything, but I also really, really enjoy my privacy and like having my privacy. So that's going to be a no. And I don't, please, if anybody's emailed me about it and, and if you're hearing this, it's nothing, I, I get it. And somebody brought up, I was talking to somebody else about it because somebody got really insistent about, you know, oh, well, if this day wouldn't work or whatever, because I was like, I'm on vacation, I'm not going to be around. And they're like, well, I think Petco actually has, he has the dark den and you can come and visit the dark den. This is my home. I don't have a dark den. I don't have a separate place for my spiders. They're in my home in a room and you have to be in my home to see them. So that's just not going to happen, unfortunately. So I do appreciate the sentiment. I get where people are coming from and I get, I've had people say like, you know, I've listened to you for years and I feel like I know you and I, believe me, I totally understand it, but it's just with my kids and everything else, maybe someday down the road, Billy and I are talking about way down the road, doing something, having a separate place for it, but that would be 
probably if we ever considered, you know, selling them or something like that. I have ideas of things I'd like to do where we could do a public venue where people could come visit. It won't be in my state because we can't sell them here, but maybe Rhode Island, Massachusetts, who knows, but it's just a pipe dream or something we've been thinking about down the road. In that case, obviously it'd be a public place, not my home. That's fine. Probably that obviously that would be great, but not at my own home. So again, please don't take, I don't want anybody that's asked to come visit. I, we're, we're cool. There's no issues there, but I do feel like I have to publicly get this out there because it, it does get very awkward for me. And honestly, it's one of those triggers for me as far as like, why does this person think they can just come into my home? And it's unreasonable for me. I understand, but it's just one of those things that kind of freaks me out a little bit. And every time it happens, I usually yell over to Billy, hey, we got company coming over this weekend. She jokingly says she'll clean the house and everything. But honestly, it, it does give me some anxiety because it's no, especially if, it, you know, if you come to me and say, you know where I live and you're going to be in like the next town over, that's going to be, that's kind of triggered. That's, that's scary. I'll just throw it out there. So anyway, I know most, I know most people don't mean any harm by it, whatever. It's just, I feel like I should address it, address it publicly. And I will actually be doing something on my YouTube videos now in the comment section where I'm going to have a, a type thing that kind of says all this stuff. So the people that read that, like, if this is what, where you want to get a hold of me, if this is, you know, if you're looking to get me a mail or something, this is what I do. And please don't, I'm not having people people in my house. This is not a public forum for people to come in and check out my collection, unfortunately. All right. So with that stuff covered, a couple things. And again, I apologize. It's just, it's been brewing. And I don't, I think it's because everybody was on break this week. They had a lot more time on their hands. So this became more, it became more of an issue because I was getting like hammered with it. So I figured I just, again, I try to be transparent. I try to put things out there. I don't want people to ever get hurt feelings because I do feel like sometimes when I like say, nope, you can't come over or nope. I'm not looking to do a trade. I feel like some people take it personally. It's never personal. It's it's just I do need to keep my boundaries, and I do. I, I I'm not going to be pressured into doing something I don't feel comfortable with. So anyway, moving on. Uh, good news with the Ophelopinus slings for people that have been following this one. I've had the video, the featured species video is all queued up and ready to go. I can't wait to post it, and we'll be shipping those off hopefully on Monday. What a debacle that was. I think we ended up with 206 of them, and Billy and I separated the last of them out last night into vials. So they're all separated out. They have not yet eaten. I'm hoping to get a feed in them before I send them off, but sometimes it can take a little while. It's one of the things you don't you know hear about as much when you start doing breeding is the fact when you get those second instar slings. I think people think they immediately start eating, and they don't. I remember with my... Hapalopus species Columbia larges. When I did those, I believe it was like three and a half weeks before the first one ate. I was starting to freak out because it was my first batch of slings. I'm like, why aren't these things eating? So kind of like that beginner feeling when you get a tarantula and it's like, why isn't it eating? It took them quite a while to eat. So these guys haven't eaten yet, but we're going to try them again later today, which will be fun feeding over 200 of them. And by fun, I mean absolutely not fun. But anyway, again, a reminder to folks who look to breed. It's a lot of work. It's it's time consuming. It's fun. It's incredibly rewarding when you look down and you're like, you know, after you buy them for years, if you realize you produce your own. It's just the coolest feeling in the world. But then there's also that, oh my Lord, you're looking at this egg, so egg sack with all of these little babies in it. Like, oh my Lord, now I have to deal with all these. And it does take time. And lucky I'm incredibly fortunate. Billy won't hear this because she never listens to the podcast. I, I don't blame her. Actually, it embarrasses me when she listens to the podcast. That's probably my fault. But uh, she's been incredibly helped. Like I couldn't do this without her help. We sat there the other night while she was putting together the vials and doing everything and helping me wrangle the, the little baby spiders in and picking them up herself and everything. She's been amazing with that. I can't imagine trying to do it by myself. So those guys will be going out soon. They'll be going through Fear Not Tarantulas. Very excited about that because it'll be the first time I'm actually timing a video. So when the video comes out, they will be ready to order. There will hopefully be a code for it. And I will put it up here as well. I put it through the podcast as well so that people can grab it. Or I'll just post on Facebook if it... it 
if I ship them on Monday, they'll probably arrive. Well, they're going to arrive Tuesday, and they'll probably be up Tuesday or Wednesday. And I don't want the podcast folks to miss out should you know they sell quickly. So we'll figure something out. I'll post on Facebook for all you guys or something. Give the code because I do want. It's going to be up for like a week, and you're going to get a certain amount off. We're still talking about what it's going to be. I haven't finalized it yet. But uh, thank you to people that have been listening to the podcast and watching the videos and who've been interested in this species because it's one of my favorites. So very excited to get that one out. And then we have some other. Uh, as I've already said, I've got several other breeding projects going. That those have been kind of exciting. The M. Cabocos, we tried pairing them again after waiting for an hour for the male to approach pain, work painstakingly close to the female to the point where he was reaching out and he was stroking her leg and then she went at him. So luckily I was there with the brush. We stopped there. He got away, but I'm not looking forward to doing that one again because it's like an hour of watching them move like molasses in January only to have the girl like all of a sudden jump on him. And it's kind of got that jack in a box effect where you're sitting there, you're almost numb. You're like so hyper-focused on them and then bam, she jumps. So Hopefully we're able to get, I really want, I have two females, a bigger, a larger one and a smaller one. I'm hoping one of them will take and get bred and I can keep the male out of it. So we'll be trying that again this weekend. Also have some Harpectera pulcropies that my buddy Charles sent me the mail for. We've tried, I tried the other day, they sat there for an hour. There was zero interest with either of them. He had already previously got, you know, jumped right in, got an insertion. But unfortunately when he sent her to me, and this was something he was aware of and I had said she had been quite fattened up. I thought she might be in pre-mole, but she ended up, she paired with them. She ate a couple more times. And then of course she molted out before we got a sack. So hopefully this time around she should, she's fattened up, ready to go. Hopefully we can get some interest there and get those going. Plus I have uh Formictopus cancerides that we're going to be working with later on. And there's a couple other ones I don't want to talk about quite yet. Although one, I think I just talked about in a YouTube video. So anyway, a lot of breeding projects coming up on the horizon. Hopefully we get some babies out of them and hopefully it goes a little more smoothly than this one, because with the Ophilopinus, I believe I bred them in mid July. And of course they were ready to ship right over Christmas time where Christmas was on a Wednesday so we couldn't ship before Christmas and then next week we had New Year's on a holiday so we couldn't ship then so there was two weeks that we couldn't ship where I normally could have shipped them off so it was kind of like the worst possible timing for them having their little coming of age party and becoming a little second in star ready to eat sling so moving on today what the main topic is going to be is about proper way to set up enclosures because I've been getting a lot of emails lately of people usually what happens is somebody will email me my spiders curled up in the corner it's a fossorial species. It hasn't begun burrowing yet. I'm not sure what's wrong. And then the first thing I do is say, could you please send me some photos? And a lot of times what happens, I would say eight out of 10 times we'll go with. Eight out of 10 times, there's an issue with the way the enclosure is set up that's not necessarily conducive to that spider settling in quickly. I also get a lot of emails from people who are keeping the heavy webbing species like C. pubicens or the OBT that say, hey, I've had it in this enclosure for a month. There's been no webbing. Is my spider broke? Is there something wrong with it? And then we get pictures of the enclosure and we go, oh, there's the problem. So let's take a moment to talk about with this episode just how you should go about setting up a cage. And number one, please, and I implore people, do the research and set up your cage before your tarantula arrives. This is one of the biggest issues I've been finding lately is that people are going online ordering tarantulas, the tarantula is on its way, it's going to be there in a day, and then they go into panic mode and realize I haven't set up an enclosure yet. And I think some of us who have been in the hobby for a while, we can do that because like if you go into my garage right now, there are probably 200 possible 
types of enclosures you could use, different sizes, different makes, all already ventilated. I have cork bark everywhere. I have all the fixings. I can throw one together quickly, and I'm sure a lot of you out there are shaking your head. They can do the same thing at any given time. You order an arboreal on Tuesday night, and it should arrive Wednesday, then you're able to go right out there and put together a cage. However, for people that are new to the hobby, it's very important that you do this research and set these things up ahead of time so that you don't get yourself in a situation where it's two weeks on and you contact Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders and he's telling you you have to redo your enclosure because now it's going to be another week before that spider sets in. So the best tip, one tip I can give everybody, and again, if you're brand new to the hobby, this is important. And I know I've gotten a lot of emails lately from people who are getting into the hobby that haven't bought their first spider yet. They found my podcast, which is awesome. And first thing I can tell you, before you order your spider, find out what type of enclosure. I'd rather have an email. And again, I, I answer everything I get anyway. And these are the ones that seem to be time sensitive because unfortunately the tarantula is on its way and it's like, Hey Tom, it's on its way. Can you help me out? But it's easier if we could go back and forth before you set the enclosure up, before you do something that might not be conducive to that tarantula setting in, that might not be appropriate for the particular tarantula you're getting. So always do your research ahead of time. But here's one of the things. If you're getting a terrestrial species, I give almost all my terrestrials a hide. Those are kind of the easiest ones to set up. A hide with some fake foliage, although some of them won't need it. And I tell you, like, if you see videos of my Formictopus, the hides are quickly buried up. They don't use their hides. They sit right out in the open. They plants, they usually chew the plants off of, I put the plastic plants, glue them onto the actual cork bark, and they usually chew those right off, and those are all mangled up. So there are some species, as you keep, you know, tarantulas over time and, and try different species, you will find certain ones ones it's really not going to matter with my for another one for example my g rose or g porteri my female my old female the queen she has a cork bark hide in there i think she's i've seen her in it three times since i put it in there about seven eight years ago never use it it's just right out in the open she's you know doesn't move a lot however even if you read something like this because i've had people go oh i saw that you know your g porteri didn't use its it's hide, so I didn't put one in with mine. Always give them one to start off with. It doesn't hurt anything. Yeah, it's a couple extra bucks if you're buying the hide or whatever, but it always makes sense to give them that opportunity. And when you when you get a hide, it should be one of the things I notice people doing is they have like a three-inch tarantula and they have this gigantic hide that's completely open and there's a lot of space in it. Tarantulas like the hide under kind of tighter things. So what you want to do is get a hide that's proportionate to the size of the tarantula you're keeping. So if you have a three-inch spider, you're not going to want an eight inch, you know, giant piece of half pine tree, though, those like hubba huts or whatever they are in there, because a both en entrances, there's gonna be two entrances is gonna be completely open. They like to have a dark spot to hide in and B it's gonna be too huge. So the spider might, might not even register that as being a viable hide because it's too open. They go in there, they're still getting the airflow. Their little hairs are telling them it's still an open space. Try to get something that is blocked off on one side. So you want the back side blocked off and open in the front. If you've purchased a larger hide or all you have is a larger hide on hand and you still want to use it, the trick is to put extra substrate in there and bury part of it. So if it's a cork bark, say half flat or half round, bury the back end of it so that there's an end to the tunnel so there's not sunlight coming from both ends or light coming from both ends. And then plant it so that there's only a smaller space in between it. Give them a little, you know, give them a little room to squeeze in under there, but they'll make it, they'll dig it out and, and make it larger if they need it. But they'd rather have something a little smaller and tighter and more cozy than a giant vacuous 
tunnel that's open on both ends. So I've, I've had pictures. That's one of the biggest things I see when people send me stuff. They're like, oh, I got to hide in there. And there's this giant hubba hut with this little teeny spider sitting next to it that's probably thinking this isn't even a hide. So that's something to be aware of when you're setting up the enclosures for terrestrials. The other thing is if you want the heavy webbing and you have a heavy, heavy webbing species, pick an enclosure that A, has more depth. You don't want something super shallow because they will basically web all the way up to the top of the enclosure. And if it's a top opening one, if you're using like a sterilite container or something like that or a critter keeper, then they're going to web right up to that so every time you pull the top off of that enclosure it's going to rip the top off their house you want something with more depth furthermore i'll get things like and this is a big one i've had happen quite a few times hey i got to see cayenne pubicins i've had it for two months i heard this is a heavy web heavy webbing species but i haven't seen mine web at all it's just kind of hiding under its cork bark and i'll say can you send me pictures well what they'll have is a barren enclosure with just some substrate and a piece of cork bark and no fake foliage or any web webbing anchors for it to start its webbing with. It's, tarantulas need anchoring for their webbing. They generally won't just start webbing over top of a piece of cork bark. But if the piece of cork bark has some fake leaves, some fake, I, I mean, for the heavy webbing species, more is usually better. Stick some plants in there, fake plants, some little fake bushes, little whatever you can get to give them some anchor points for, the, for that webbing. Because that's where they will start. You will notice I had somebody that messaged me not that long ago they've had they had their gbb for a year and it had done very little webbing at all and i looked at the enclosure and i was like oh you need some anchor points in there try putting some things in there so they went to petco they picked up some fake plants they put it in there a month later i get an email with the same enclosure with all the fake plants that were just webbing everywhere and the the person was so excited. Like, you're right. I can't believe this. I just went and changed. They had another one too. They'd done very little webbing. I changed his enclosure. He started to web or she, whatever it was. But that's one of the biggest issues if you're not. And, and again, you're always going to have those oddball spiders that don't web. We all, we always throw these absolutes out there like, oh, all, every single GBB is going to web. I have seen instances where people have had GBBs that are in properly set up in, enclosures with lots of anchor points for the webbing that haven't webbed. It happens, but majority of the webbing species, if given the correct environment, will web up a great deal. The other one I get sometimes is VersaColors will usually web themselves a little tunnel. I'll get a email from somebody saying, hey, my Versi's just you know up in the corner. It's webbed a little bit of a tunnel around itself, but it hasn't done any webbing around the cork bark or the hide. We get pictures and lo and behold, it's like one piece of cork bark leaned up against the side of the enclosure. There's no other cover. There's no other fake plants. And that's the other thing. They like the cover too. The fake plants not only supply anchor point, but make them a little more bold. They can go out and kind of adventure around because they have some cover. And you look at the picture, there's none of this in there. So you want to make sure for any webbing, heavy, heavily webbing species, they need anchor points. They need depth as far as enclosures so they have enough room to web and not have it torn up every time you open the enclosure. And in most cases that's going to be that's going to set you up to get all that heavy webbing if you give them a barren enclosure with a little hubba hut or a little piece of cork bark in the side and just substrate they will either web up in a corner they're not going to be secure to start off that's a big one and they're going to probably take a long time to web and in some cases not web at all because they're not really going to settle into it they're going to feel too exposed so terrestrials are kind of the easiest of the ones because the trick is to give them that little tight, cozy hide. Give them a second hide. That's another thing I've started doing more as I've gotten further into the hobby. And, and again, I have stuff on hand. And I get when people are just getting their first spiders. They don't always, you know, you've just spent 40 bucks on a spider. It's going to cost you another 50 bucks for shift, shipping. And then you get it home and some guy tells you, you got to go on Amazon and buy a bunch of piece, pieces of cork bark that'll cost you another 20 bucks and stuff. I get it. I do. But you will start to accumulate this stuff as you get more into the hobby. 
And quite frankly, if you're getting into the hobby of keeping pets, they're animals you need to care for them, sometimes it costs money. Like get dogs, cats, whatever you need, it's going to end up costing money to buy all the stuff you need for them. So just prepare to shell out more in the you know earlier part of the hobby. Most of us don't only end up getting one or two spiders anyway, and I'm assuming most of the people that are bothering to spend time listening to a 45-minute podcast on tarantulas are probably going to be buying more than one spider. Just know you'll start to accumulate this stuff. And I remember the beginning when I first started out, you know, it would be a mad scramble every time I'd order something like, oh gosh, I don't have enough cork bark, or oh gosh, I'm on a sphagnum moss. I have so much of this stuff on hand now, I never get caught with my pants down as far as that's concerned. So... Again, invest early, you'll have this stuff later on, and it's all about making sure the spider is set up correctly because one of the big emails, one of, I'd say top three things I, emails I get or questions I get is about why hasn't my spider settled in yet? I picked up my spider on Wednesday. It's in its enclosure. She's up in the corner. She's webbed around herself. She hasn't come down to the ground. What's up? And a lot of times it's due to the fact that A, tarantulas take time to settle in. You're dropping them in a new environment. They're going to feel exposed. They're going to feel vulnerable. They're going to feel scared and intimidated to go out and investigate. And that's made even worse when you don't set that enclosure up correctly. So if you drop a tarantula in to an enclosure that is just some dirt and a big old hubba hut in the corner, yeah, it's going to take longer for it to settle in. They're going to go to a spot where they feel the least exposed. And a lot of times that's going to be that upper corner where they can kind of squeeze themselves in, web around themselves. It's going to take them longer to settle in, start roaming, start setting up permanent residence and start eating. So that leads to a lot of keeper stress. So that's why we're going over this to make sure they're set up correctly. One of the things, uh, one that comes up quite a bit too is fossorial species. There's a lot of information out there and it will tell you you don't need to provide them with a hide or a burrow because they will make their own. Well, that's kind of yes and no. Yes, they will eventually make their own, but I will tell you right now that if you provide them with a hide to start off so that they can you know, have a home base to kind of hide and, and feel secure, they will dig a lot faster in most circumstances. There's always those outliers that don't care. So, I always encourage everybody when setting up fossorial species, give them a hide. Give them two hides. Again, if you have the materials for it, give them one a couple different corners. Again, use a piece of cork bark, partially bury it, but give them a starter burrow. Take your fingers, jam them in there, make like a little starter hole. I use the back of a paintbrush sometimes. Again, you want it to be tight. You don't want this big vacuous area. You want them to immediately go under this thing, feel secure, web up. They'll probably web up the opening a little bit, and then they'll start their burrowing. So again, for fossorial species, don't skip out on the cover on the hides. They need them just as much as, if probably not more, so I have them use it more often than the terrestrials. Every once in a while, you have an oddball. You'll put in a starter burrow and a hide, and they'll pick an opposite end corner and go in there. And I've had some luck with just giving them a starter burrow, but I will tell you, having that hide usually helps a lot more because it's going to be a nice dark place where if you just... Usually with starter burrows, you, you like make a hole in one of the corners and they kind of scooch down into the corner and start webbing up in there. But even then, they sometimes feel exposed because the lights are on in the room. They feel like they're out there and everybody can see them. So giving them those starter burrows with the hides over them, I, I encourage everybody to do it. I've had two... Uh, emails this week with people who said their fossorial species hadn't burrowed yet. They sent me pictures and it was just a fossorial hunkered up in the corner and there was no place for it to even start because it was completely exposed because there was no hide in there. So yes, hides for the fossorial species. I can't, I, now in all my videos, I mention that when I do my husbandry videos, I always mention that even with the fossorial species, I put in the starter burrows. 
Again, more than one if you can afford it and you have the materials for it, but at least one. Give them a chance to it, it gives them a chance to settle in much, much more quickly. And you won't have those have to make one of those panicked emails where it's been a month and my C Lividum is sitting right up in the corner and hasn't done any digging yet. Because usually more often than not, it helps. And again, it doesn't hurt to provide cover for them. So and the cover goes with all all types of tarantulas, whether it be fossorial, terrestrial, or arboreal, make sure you give them cover. Again, usually the more, you, you don't want a crowded enclosure per se, but you want to give them areas that they can go out and feel like there's some cover in there because it, it encourages them to explore more. And I have found back in the day, I got kind of cheap sometimes and I wouldn't put in a lot of cover and I wouldn't see my tarantulas as much as when I started putting cover around their burrows. Like even a fossorial species, if you're able to plant some cover or some fake cover around the mouth of the burrow, sometimes you'll see them come out and hang out there more often because they feel like there's some, you know, they're, they're not completely exposed. Now with the boreals, again, that's even more important with them because a lot of times if you have a true arboreal that's going to sit out in the open, they want some cover. They don't just want a piece of cork bark in there, whether it be a tube or a flat. And I've heard the debate over which I've used both. They both work great. The tubes give them a little more security, but you won't see your spider as much. The flats, you can angle them so they can hide behind the flats and usually in such a way that you can see them at all times. So if you turn your enclosure around, you can see them, but it's a matter of preference. But if you do use a flat, obviously you it's more important that you put cover in there and fake plants around it. I like to put the flat angled against either a corner or the side. And then on either side of it, I like to put some like a fake plant or some fake vines or something to give it extra cover. I also will shove some sphagnum moss behind it to give it a little bit of cover, especially when they first start off, because a lot of them will kind of go right behind the cork bark and hide down in the sphagnum moss and then start venturing out and kind of webbing a little bit and exploring. But it's really important to provide your arboreals with cover for the evicts that will do some webbing. You want to make sure that they have that cover for web anchor points and to hide because what happens is, and I've made this mistake before myself, I moved one of my evicts into a larger, extra, well, extra large critter keeper style enclosure and I put a piece of cork bark in, I put one little plant and a water dish and it was pretty much a very Spartan enclosure and my evict basically just hid in a corner, never ventured down, wasn't eating very well because she wasn't going down hunting. She obviously was stressed so I had to add more stuff in there and once I added a couple more plants and strategically put some vines around it all of a sudden she was settled in more she felt more confident she would sit on top of the cork bark she would sit on the side of the enclosure and she was hunting better so that's something to think of when you're setting your arboreal closures enclosures up don't skimp on those they're not just decorative i think sometimes people get the idea because there are different ways to set up enclosures and you can make prettier ones you can make more spartan ones but there are certain simple ingredients that every good enclosure should have whether it be for an arboreal a terrestrial or a fossorial species tarantula to allow them to settle in more and to allow them to feel more secure once they settle in. So definitely if you're setting up an arboreal, now the one difference, the one thing that kind of throws people off is folks are doing say Pisolotheria and honestly some of the Salmopias or Tapanakinias, a lot of those as slings will do some burrowing. So what will happen is people will set up, they'll get a sling, it'll be a tiny sling and they'll set up like a 32 ounce deli cup with a piece of a large piece of cork bark and one little leaf and some stuff in it and then the sling is like swimming in the enclosure and it immediately digs down at the bottom and they freak out that's normal a lot of the species the vicks are the only ones that seem to be arboreal all of the time even as babies they do their little webbing and they stay up top a lot of the other arboreal species will live almost fossorially to start off i've had pisolotheria that literally they dig themselves a little burrow and they don't start coming out and acting arboreally until they're like three four inches or 
or so. Sama Pius, I've had some of them do the same thing. I have an H Gigas or T Gigas now that used to spend a lot of her time buried. Um, L Velocity or O Velocities, that's another one that they kind of go both ways. I have one now, a female that is almost never out in the open. She is, has a den beneath the cork bark. She's webbed it up. She's put dirt curtains and she hides in that all the time. So don't be startled if you see that behavior. It doesn't necessarily mean they're set up incorrectly. And depending on the size, that's just what they do. They live more fossorially or terrestrially during those early sling stages. Now, does that mean you shouldn't give them the opportunity to climb? No. When you set up the enclosure, put in a little more substrate than you normally would. Put the cork bark you know, tube or the cork bark flat in there. Shove some, again, some sphagnum moss behind it. They will use that to construct their dirt curtains and their cover. And then give them a little space to climb if they want to. Because I have had a, have had a couple oddballs that seem to come out from underneath the ground earlier on. And so you want to make sure you give them that, you know, alternative if they should want to take it. So, again, basic stuff. And a lot of people out there are probably like, duh. But I, I do have to, you know, I have people come on that email me that listen to the podcast that are just getting into the hobby. And I do think these are some tips that sometimes people don't talk about. And there's a million different ways to set up enclosures. So we're not going to do... I'm not going into what you should use for a hide. I'm not using going into what you should use. Is Should you use live plants? Should you use fake plants? Whatever. I would say somebody starting off, the easiest things to grab are cork bark for hides and the fake. You can go online and buy the fake plants. I think Petco has them. There's a lot of different places to sell the fake plants. You can buy the vines. Zoomet or somebody makes the vines and you can pluck for littler slings. You can pluck the leaves right off the vines and glue them onto the cork bark. You can buy, I've seen people use aquarium plants, whatever you need, but you need to make sure these guys start off in a situation where there's as much chance for them to have cover and settle in quickly without having to have them, you know, wandering the enclosure or webbing up in a corner. I think that's really important. Would probably quell a lot of the emails I get with help. My spider hasn't settled in. And always keep in mind again, and this is important to remember, it takes them time to settle in. I get a lot of, you know, contact with people saying, all right, I picked this thing up Tuesday. It's now Friday. What's wrong with it? It hasn't, it hasn't adapted to its burrow yet. It hasn't started webbing. It can take time depending on the specimen. I've had instances where I've purchased three of the same exact spider from the same sack. Two of them have gone ahead and burrowed and done their thing. One of them's hunkered down in the corner and hasn't done it yet. It's They all have individual personalities. They all have little individual quirky traits. And sometimes ones won't settle in as quickly as other ones. It doesn't mean it's time to panic yet. Also, if you've picked up one species and say, I've had this one before. Well, I set up my GBB before and didn't give her a lot of plants and she did fine with webbing. Again, they're different. So you want to make sure you plan for the normal situation, the the most common situation, which would be they're going to need anchor points to web and you put that stuff in there. Again, it's like I talked about with my G. Porteri. If I set up another G. Porteri, just because this one doesn't use her hide doesn't mean I'm going to look at the other one and go, no, you know what? I'm not going to give you a hide because this one didn't. She may use it. We don't know. So always plan as if they're going to use them. It's not wasted materials. It still helps decorate the enclosure. It's, you know, it, I don't think cork bark so expensive that we can't afford to have a couple extra pieces in there. Like I said, with my Formictopus, I, I think I've had one that actually uses its hide. Two, two of the all the ones I keep use their hides. But you know what? I still provide hides for every one of them I rehouse. I, okay, I lied there. I did have one that I rehoused recently that I wanted. I needed to get out of its old enclosure. It needed a bigger enclosure. And the piece of cork bark that I thought was going to work didn't work. But I went back and added it later. And that's another thing. You can always go back and add stuff. It's just not as convenient, obviously. I just, again, talking with somebody who just had an OBT that hadn't done any webbing. And it was kind of, you know, taking residence in an inconvenient spot where the top of the cover came off the enclosure. And I told the guy, listen, it's not convenient, but you're going to want to 
go in there and give it some hides and give it some foliage so they can start webbing and hiding in the meantime. I said, you just got to be really careful. And he's like, should I rehouse the whole thing? And I'm like, no, in some cases you can just cup them and get them out of the way for a minute, go through, do the alterations and then put them back in. Again, you're kind of restarting that clock or restarting that, you know, settling in period because if they've already started to get the hang of the place they've got some guide webs around they've webbing up in a corner and you take them out of it and put it back in it's kind of like starting them all over again but at least this time they should settle in more quickly because they have the correct setup so it's always easier to do all this stuff before you put your tarantula in and finally always include a water dish i still had somebody the other day tell me they talked to some big name breeder that said they don't need water dishes and that's great they i i we've talked about this ad nauseum can they live without water dishes? Yes, we've proven they can live without water dishes, but I've had so many people tell me, man, I didn't give mine a water dish and I put one in the other day and it immediately ran over and started drinking. And that's what we want them to have the opportunity to drink anytime they want to, not just when we provide them with water. Again, I, I had somebody actually argue, well, in real life, they're going to have stages where it's they don't they can't get water and then when it rains, they're going to drink. Yeah, but we shouldn't be trying to replicate the real life situation to the point where we're going to have them be thirsty. That doesn't make any sense. So like any animal you keep, you want to make sure they have access to water. So again, I'm a huge proponent of including water dishes. I include them from very early on. It can be difficult with ones that are in a vial. And let's throw that one out there because a lot of people will freak out and be like, I got mine in a vial Does, and I can't fit one in. That's cool. People have done that since the beginning of time. But once they get to the point where you're you're moving into larger enclosures, 16 ounce deli cups, larger things like that, then you can usually fit one in. And I'll tell you, you'll be surprised at how many times you catch them drinking. So yes, on top of all of this, on top of providing them cover, on top of providing all of them, you know, starter bird and tight hides so that they're not, you know, lost in swimming in the hides, definitely give them water dishes as well. That's another important part. And I, I personally think a crucial part of setting up any appropriate tarantula enclosure. So that about covers it. And again, I apologize for folks out there that are listening to this. They're like, dude, I've been in the hobby for, you know, three years. I, I know all this stuff now. But again, it's it's a reminder for myself too, because I, as much as I talk about these topics and, and people may brand them beginner topics or stuff they've already learned, I, I think a lot of us out there have done this before where we've set up enclosures, we kind of throw, throw it together real quickly put the spider in and then realize, ah, crud, I could have done much better with that. So maybe it's just a little checklist, a little mental check to make sure that we're setting them up and doing the best job we can right off the bat. Again, I've, I can name a few instances with the avicularia. It was the most recent one I can think of where I did not set it up is the way I should have. And it's like afterwards, you're like, oh God, now I got to disturb the spider again and kind of fix this thing. So again, something I think we can all be reminded of. And for those of you who are just getting into the hobby or are thinking about getting into the hobby, again, do the research ahead of time. Know what type of enclosure you want to put together. If you're worried about what you want to use, ask people. Go on the forums. Go on, shoot me an email or shoot me a mess or, or, or comment on one of my videos on YouTube or whatever, but try to ask people what they think they should use. And don't, here's another one that I just want to be very, you know, we already covered the fact about uh, a couple of podcasts ago about taking stuff from outside because I get a lot of people that try to make things easier and cheaper and they go, oh, I'm just going to pull a bunch of dirt and some stuff from outside. The other thing is people pull stuff from their homes that they think are going to make great enclosures and they don't really have the experience yet or the knowledge to really recognize what makes an appropriate enclosure. So again, we, the, the best example I can give is the old 10-gallon aquariums. I can't tell you how many times I get an email that begins with something like, hey, Tom, I've been listening to your podcast and watching your videos. I have a 10-gallon aquarium sitting here, and I'm wondering what species of tarantula I should put in it. 10-gallon aquariums, they can be made to work. Obviously, people use them, but a lot of us alter them, you know, using plexiglass on the top, making sure you have enough substrate in it. Some people even drill the glass to add more ventilation on the sides. But generally speaking, that 
that 10 gallon tank that you had your leopard gecko in or whatever it may have been, or even just fish in is not the most appropriate thing to start with. And I can't tell you how many people will go, Hey, I'm, I'm picking up a, a 1.75 inch B hemorrhi and I've got this 10 gallon aquarium. So I've got it set up and I have to go, Whoa, 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 back up a little bit. Let's, let's talk about this. So I think a lot of people, a lot of it comes down to trying to save money, but make sure if you have something that you're not sure about, ask people if it'll work. I'm assuming there's people like me that just constantly go out and buy new things and try them out. And some of them work great. Some of them don't. And I'm sure there's others like that out there that do the same thing. have tried a bunch of stuff and can tell you what works for what. Make sure you check with somebody before you just use any old thing. I mean, I've, I've gotten some really wonky looking enclosures over the years. And some of them it's like, wow, never thought of that. It's really cool. And some of them it's like, okay, you need to get the spider out of there immediately. So make sure before, again, it's all about prep ahead of time, being able to reach out, reach out, ask people. You know, there's a lot of people out there that know what they're doing. Shoot them an email or shoot, you know, post something up on a forum. Hopefully people are kind to you. Again, people can be kind of jerks when they get out in the public, you know, forums and stuff. But Check ahead of time. Make sure it works. Make sure you're not using something that could potentially be, you know, harmful or potentially deadly to your tarantula. So that will do it for this part. That was the brunt of it. So we have my little, you know, my pleas for a new year to start it off. And I still feel bad. It's one of these things where I do a podcast like this, where I kind of open up about some stuff. And then literally what happens is I, I do the podcast on a Saturday and then I put it away. I save it. I put it away. And then I listen to parts of it again the next day. And there's been podcasts that I've gone back and listened to and like, I'm not publishing this. And just because I don't ever want the wrong message to come across. And I'm hoping this this is one of the ones where I'm thinking tomorrow I'm going to be listening to it. Like, should I post this up? But I do think those things need to be said. And as far as the enclosure stuff, I've been planning on doing something like this for a while. And I do want to do a video on this, which is one of the things that kind of spurred the idea as I'm starting to do notes for a video about how to properly set up the three different types of enclosures. And this came up. And plus, I got a lot of, a lot of people got tarantulas over the holidays. So I'm getting a lot of questions about setups. So I think it'd be a good topic to cover. Uh, one thing I do want to point to that's coming up pretty soon that I'm really excited about because it proves a point that I've been trying to make for several years. Billy and I sat down on... I think the second to last New Year's Day or the day before New, or New Year's Eve. I forget where it was. It was very recent. I'm losing my mind. Anyway, to finally rehouse my P. Metallica communal. Now, I don't want to get, I'm trying to express this. I don't want people to think I was afraid of it. I'm in no way, shape, or form afraid of the communal. However, when you're thinking about sticking your hand in an 8x8x12 inch cage with seven P. Metallica's P. Solitaria species, of which they're usually a little jumpy, and the fact they're in a combined space, and the largest of the ones is four and a half inches, the smallest being four inches. That's a pretty good sized group in a small area. It did create some nervous energy, and I've explained before that when I have one of these big rehousings to do, I try to mull over every possibility of what could happen. It's like my motto has always been, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best. I always plan worst case scenario. And we talked about this, no joke. One shoots up my arm and ends up on my head. We actually talked about how to do it. I made Billy a special catch cup to help us so she didn't have to get too close to it because I don't want her being in danger. We talked about every contingency for this, hoping that it would be covered. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to hear any spoiler alerts, if you want to watch and see how it all unfolds, you can check it out. But so spoiler alert, it went great. It went perfectly fine. We actually did seven of them in, I think, 12 minutes. And if you take out my talking and the fact that we paused for a minute to kind of show a couple of them on camera or whatever, it's more like nine minutes. So it, like one minute per spider, they behave beautifully. The best part is you got to see them get a little, little, you know, amped up and then calm down right into the enclosure. It went beautifully. I was so excited. We got done and we kind of looked at each other. Billy's been dreading it more than me. I think Billy doesn't spend as much time as I do around him. So I don't panic as much. 
Like if something bolts or something doesn't go exactly the way it's planned, I've seen just about everything. Knock on wood, I have not had one on me yet, but seen just about everything so I know how to react. She doesn't, she's kind of on the periphery with the camera doesn't get as close to them. And with this one, we, as with all of my rehousings, Billy's goal, Billy's goal is always to record it, but should something go wrong, she drops the camera immediately and she comes over and helps. That's the way it's always been. And it, it stinks in a, it would stink in a case that like with this, she'd put the thing down. We wouldn't have video of it, but honestly, I'd rather have a safe rehousing and have everybody in my home and all the spiders safe than to have the footage. I don't care about the footage that much. Like, oh, well, I don't get to throw it up on YouTube. I'm glad we did get it though, because I had somebody the other day come on and they asked about P Metallica and they said, somebody told them they're incredibly jumpy and defensive and aggressive. And I'm like, listen, I've had 11 of them now and I have not seen that at all. I've seen shy little, you know, sometimes a little photosensitive, but I haven't had, obviously every specimen's different. You get to watch me work with seven of them that prove that point. So I'm glad because I, you know, after last week's podcast, where we talked a bit about people that are so afraid of keeping old world tarantulas, especially some of those Pisolotheria species because of all the horror stories they've heard. I'm hoping that seeing this again, I don't want to fill people with, I don't want to have people jump, see this and go, oh, that's really easy. I can do that. There's, I've done this for a while. I know how to read the body language. I'm, I think I do have, uh, I, I think I have my rehousings pretty down pat and a lot of it's due to experience. But to see how that go that smoothly and see how calmly they act, even when a couple of times, a couple of them get a little jacked up, to see that I think will be powerful for people to be like, you know what? I, I could get to this point. I'll continue to work on my rehousings. I'll work my way up there. I could definitely do this. And that's what I'm hoping. So I can't wait to shoot my, we're going to go up later on in the attic. I got a green screen for Billy for Christmas. So I've been doing a slightly different intro for my videos that allow me to put videos in the background because I hate the fact it's just me. I don't want. I'm not the focus of these videos. So as many times, as much as I can work tarantulas in, even when I'm on screen, the better. But I can't wait to go up there and talk about the fact that, yeah, for the guy last week that said those things are going to jump up, I think somebody said, you're crazy for working with those things are nasty. And I'm like, this is my rebuttal. Here you go. Check it. This is how nasty they are. Seven of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Right from one container to another, a tight container with bright lights on them. No problems whatsoever, except for one little spot where if everybody's paying attention when I put this video up, I have a catch cup with the opening. It's a big bottle and I go to open the end of the bottle and it shoots out the other side of the bottle and almost goes around. Not a terribly close call, but definitely one you look at and go, woo, that could have been interesting. But overall, it went great. Really excited about it. And I'm excited to put it up because it proves my point that they're not the monsters that everybody makes them out to be. They're not, they shouldn't be demonized. People need to be respectful. They need to be aware of the risks. They need to, you know, watch videos, get their, you know, to see how they move get their experience in rehousings, but they're definitely accessible, I think, for most people that are getting, you know, into the hobby. I think the majority of people should be able to work up to them at some point or another if they're interested in them. So very excited about that. And I hope I, I will throw that up on Facebook because I know a lot of the people that listen to the podcast don't necessarily monitor my YouTube page, but I would, I think it'd be a cool thing for people to watch to see it. It's not as exciting as some of the other ones where they're bolting all around, but that's exactly the way I like them. So that'll do it for this one. Again, I hope everybody had a great new year. I'm really excited about this one. Pretty soon it'll be time to change the logo a little bit for the Thomas Big Spiders thing because we'll be entering season three. I cannot believe we made it Oh my gosh, I think we've missed the 100th episode now that I think of it. I might have already had 100 episodes of this stuff. I planned on doing something special for it, and I completely spaced it out. Oh God, that's just literally just occurred to me as we're doing this. So, oh well, maybe we'll do like 102 episode or whatever, but I'm so excited because I honestly didn't know if we'd ever even make it to 20 episodes, and here we are, and I'm still enjoying it, and it seems that the audience is growing, and you guys are enjoying it, which is amazing. Again, this is the most... If, as far as all the forums I use or all the media I use to get 
the tarantula information out there. This is the one where I feel most comfortable. It's relaxed. It's me being me. It's having a conversation with, well, at this point, a Yeti microphone and my dogs. But anyway, I feel like you guys are listening. I feel like we're talking. So I love that. So I'm glad it's doing so well. So as always, guys, have a great one. Feel free to comment. I got to try to get over to the Facebook comments from last week. I still haven't gotten to them. I'm so sorry. I do know I go through and I read them, but a lot of times it's when I'm at school and I'm flipping over my phone like during a prep and kind of reading through things real quick. And um, sometimes I forget to respond or I don't get the time to respond. So I will try to do that. And I hope everybody has a great weekend and I'll catch you guys all next time.